Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 187 of the Double Density Podcast with your host, Barney and Angelo. Double Density is your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. Now, first things first, Angelo, I feel like we need to um, sort of acknowledge the episode number, right? So this is police slang for murder. Oh, yeah. A 187, as they would say in Demolition Man. Murder 187. That is correct. What is it? Murder, death, kill, 187? What was it? I do, I do love that you decide to go Demolition Man and not uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of rap songs. So good for you. I don't know the rap. Oh, can you name one rap song that you like? I will give you uh, endless moments. I really don't know. Like it's, it is a complete blind spot in my musical vocabulary. <laughs> that is not a surprise that you might be out of touch, Angelo. And speaking about a touch, <laughs> I'd like to talk about our first topic tonight, which is an article from Input Magazine about a guy named William White. So most of you probably don't know who William White is, but he is a TikTok cougar all-star. And but what I mean by that is that uh, women of a certain age are drawn to this 22-year-old TikTok influencer, this um, uh, himbo almost, right? Look at that smile, that smirk. I mean, I don't want to presume, I don't want to presume himbo status, but let's just go with it. He's a delight to sucker moms everywhere. He is Canadian. And he also told the New York Times that he feels like a 40-year-old in a kid's body, and he's definitely an old soul. So people later named him the sexiest TikToker alive. And he signed to a modeling contract with, so there's a talent agency, WME, and then IMG Models too. So he's, he's repped. He seems to be taking advantage of his fame, I guess. He's, I mean, look, you got to do what you got to do. Uh, he found a niche with older women around the world and there seems to be some backlash now Brian so there is some like internal strife amongst white's fans who um yeah uh, uh, some are more pragmatic about their liking of him and others see him almost as uh, a, a messiah which is a very strange divide but also not a surprise uh given um how underrepresented i think a lot of uh these women probably feel on the internet yeah, it's all young people everywhere all the time. And now they're getting some attention from a, an old soul and a young body. There's um, there's problematic uh, ways of uh, naming his fan clubs, though, right? Like you can't do like white power and white supremacy and things like that. <laughs> no, you you, you <laughs> could be wrong. That would be a whole different area of TikTok, which we don't want to go to. It's kind of interesting, though, that like in the article, um, the uh, author points out that some women... Uh, through white have helped themselves either feel younger or sexier, uh, which is very interesting and kind of an underserved um, market, really. Well, I, that's the good side of thing, I guess. Uh, if they feel like they can empower themselves through this 22-year-old, there's also like horrible things happening with doxing and cyberbullying among... Yeah, like, there's like a private group that treat him like a godlike figure. So it's it's becoming almost cult-like. In a way. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like uh, any kind of like, and this is ever prevalent um, in our digital age, any kind of like parasocial um, relationship that exists is kind of um, uh, amplified, I think would be a good word to say. Uh, kind of amplified when it comes to um, someone who is on display for physical purposes. It's also showing how basically anybody can become a celebrity now through just some sort of niche and the niche becomes so big like you know like niche a niche used to be a niche right it was a small thing that some people talked about and nobody really knew about but now i didn't know about this guy but he's followed by what 
how many like does he have hundreds of thousands or millions of followers? Millions, millions at this point. So that 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 crosses the niche barrier, doesn't it? You think? Uh, yeah, I I mean like yes and no because we you don't know about him, but paradoxically you're also saying that he is not a niche figure, right? Which is very interesting. Which I think points to the fragmented way in which the internet is sort of evolving now, right? Because I do believe that there's no, and I was reading an article about this, there's no such thing as the mainstream anymore. No, there isn't. There's like everything's a niche in and of itself, right? Because there's so much stuff vying for our attention. Uh, all the time, forever and ever, always. Uh, yeah. So, for example, in the article, they list off a, a group of uh, super fans known as the Grotto Girls who uh, send white. Uh, reportedly a $3,000 monthly allowance or stipend. So he's making good money off of this, and that's just a small group. He probably gets a lot more money elsewhere. So someone named Tracy, a former member of the Goddard Girls, was quoted as saying, it was like a cult. There'd be people that would be maxing out their credit cards to pay for Will's allowance. They'd go on their own little uh, TikTok Live the same week and say they didn't have enough money to pay their mortgage, which is scary, right? But I think that like also White is really just an avatar for whatever... Um, uh, loneliness or lack of sexual desire the these women may feel in their everyday lives. And for someone to jeopardize their well-being just to, what, get the attention of this guy? That's essentially what they were paying for, really. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just like any kind of VIP experience, right? There's an inner circle and you 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 get in um, based on how much you decide to pay. If you go to see like um, certain acts who do like packages and stuff like that, right? Yeah, and I mean, we have people paying us to na- uh, mention their names on the podcast, right? Yes. Uh, do you want to read our sponsor read for the week? Sure. Squarespace. Use coupon code Angela Furo, Brian Hasty, 1515XO34, 6242322 for 0% off. I feel like Squarespace is kind of... Uh, Posse? Le- yeah. No, they're leading us around with a horrible coupon code like that for us. Yeah, and it's 0% off, too. I know. That's... that's well, that's what I negotiated, and that's where we are. Yeah. And we get no money from that, too, so that's great. No, exactly. Double density. So, Angelo, you and I are both aware, as well as probably a lot of our listeners, that I do the bulk of the heavy lifting when it comes to research, right? Yeah, you you present a lot of stuff to me. Every once in a while, I'll come up with something I want to talk about, um, as witnessed in the last few weeks with video games and stuff. But no, you are, uh, let's say, the, the research analyst for the podcast, Yes, I, I care just a little bit more to present a better product. And with that in mind, Angelo, last week I asked you to watch an hour and 20-minute documentary with me. Um, and you you were shocked at the length of a documentary. But when I watched game. it. But, uh, yes, yes, that's the end point. But your initial resistance was because I think I, I, I tried to get a rise out of you by saying that you have a, a busy gamer schedule. I do. I did. But no, I made time to watch this. Uh, I actually watched it and did my taxes at the same time. So hopefully I made no <laughs> mistakes and will not be audited. Well, uh, fingers crossed. If it happens, Angelo, I know CPI can hook you up with Great. which is good news. But uh, so, yeah. and, and look, my consternation was for nothing because it was a fantastic documentary. It is. So the name of the documentary is Star Wars Kid, The Rise of the Digital Shadows by director Matsur Fournier, and it's available for free um, through the National Film Board of Canada's website. Can I anyone highly, access highly, that, though? We have a lot of yes, listeners. Yes, people from the States can. Yes, great. Yes, Yes, because I have seen multiple people from the States post about how great this is. And uh, yeah, so I think we kind of uh, are leading a really interesting um, podcast about the, the, the notion of consent, right? So um, 
the internet in the mid 2000s was a very weird place, right? With the rise of YouTube. And one of the big first viral videos, apart from like Numa Numa, was the Star Wars kid, AKA Justin Hazard, who uh, at the time was 15. He was from Quebec and he was just goofing around. He um, was busy. Uh, you've seen the video. Like yeah. most of you have probably seen the video, right? So he's just, he's twirling around with a stick. And uh, so he explains in the documentary that he was actually um, asked by a friend to help out with their a video yearbook or like time capsule of the year. And uh, he was testing the green screen and then he he did a bunch of, of takes and there weren't any good. So he did a final one where he kind of just gave up for the night. And uh, other people at his school saw this and uploaded it to YouTube and became a, a worldwide success. I didn't realize YouTube was around back then. Yeah, it hit. I so for me and a lot of people, um, uh, the SNL skit "Lazy Sunday" was really the first instance I'd learned of YouTube, and that was late t- two thousand five, I think. And this, I see in my head it was two thousand three. This came out, but no, it's a little bit after that. No, exactly. So, um, Justin Hazard uh, became the first kind of like international meme superstar for this uh, digital age, and uh, this uh, his video was like spread around. It was remixed. Um, and it just it, it took on a life of its own that few memes have since, I think, right? Yeah, and I learned a lot from this documentary in that I always thought he uploaded himself to show off, but no, it was kind of taken away by some of the older kids at school because they kind of thought it was funny, and it was. Like, I mean, look, there's a guy just pretending to do uh, lightsaber battles, but the issue that this brings up is, like you said before, consent. He never, consent. he didn't put this out there. It wasn't him who chose to put it out there. Then somebody did, and then it got it's, it started getting traded around, and it ended up with Andy Bio, who's you know, well known in terms of being uh, an internet online, yeah, internet online guy. And um, his interviews, I mean, can we really spoil anything about this? But his interviews were some of the more interesting because you saw the regret he had about this all these years later, all these years later. Uh, I also learned that, you know, things they were saying about this kid, saying he was suicidal and depressed, he said that never really happened. Yeah, he said he was annoyed by it, disappointed, all the attention really got to him, but he was never to the point where it, like, completely ruined his life. Uh, where I think despite it all, he he made it through, so right now really he well, is yeah. a, a lawyer. Yeah. yeah. Um, mostly because of the fact that he injured this, this whole saga. And um, a couple of things to note is that, you know, he was homeschooled after this because he couldn't uh, take the constant attention and probably abuse being hurled by fellow students too. Um, he, uh, people worldwide were hounding him. He refused to mostly give any interviews. He gave one um, on the 10th anniversary to L'Actualité, which is like a, a French like video, uh, like magazine show. And then, yeah, he is the star of this. And one of the more interesting things, I think just personally, speaking is that it was almost like a fully bilingual documentary which i really enjoyed i was actually surprised yeah so a lot of people are going to be reading a lot of subtitles but i i i was thinking it was going to be in english and then all of a sudden it starts in french and i said oh it's it's a it's a quebec production it'll be a french documentary and then they started speaking english so it was really bilingual and it was i think it is meant to be an english documentary because the subtitles were english not french yeah, exactly. And so um, he also, at one point, his parents decided to 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 sue the the students who had uploaded the video unsuccessfully, uh, partly due to the fact that, like back then, there weren't any kind of like laws governing um, digital space, and and Gislain never consented to having his image broadcast in this way. That that's the thing that resonated most with me and stayed with me after watching it. I. Again, I come back to it. I always thought he put this up there and it was like on him to 
to kind of deal with what he brought upon himself by putting it up there. But no, it had nothing to do with him. And then, you know, it wasn't even, and it wasn't even the kids in his school that uh, disseminated everywhere. It was, it was just picked up and, you know, what we think of now as a viral video, right? It just went from one place to another. Yeah, exactly. It spread very organically, right? So I think there was there was less... This was a true organic movement where now I think some of it is manufactured, right? You can program bots to tweet things out and things like that and share and like. And um, uh, I sent you a link, for example, to Reddit's um, uh, April Fool's joke, right? R slash place. Yeah. And how different fandoms were, were taking that over, right? So there's there's ways of mobilizing um, on the internet and joining communities in ways that like weren't available 15, 20 years ago um, as easily right because message boards rsc channels things like that um the dawn of social of of uh, messenger services icq like they existed but they weren't uh, necessarily as as prevalent um society wide well it's just easier now videos weren't exactly the easiest thing to upload and share at that point because most people had lower bandwidth internet yeah by i mean by definition i remember i think i've talked about this before but like illegally downloading uh, transformer shows in like real format real player format because uh, they were much smaller than MPEGs, things sounded much more tinny and metallic. And <laughs> yeah, but I didn't. I didn't care. I just wanted my transformers. Yeah, you had it in a little tiny postage stamp sized video image <laughs> in a big giant yeah. silver real player. Yeah, exactly. No, it actually was quite large, and I, I remember being very surprised because each episode was like thirty megs, and it still was like of a decent quality. So, and this was the era before you could actually buy the G One Transformers uh, DVD sets. So I feel a little vindicated. I remember looking up all those Fenster G.I. Joe videos. Remember those? The PSAs? Yeah, those were fantastic. Yeah. But see, those were uploaded with consent and created by a creator who uh, really enjoyed things. Also, did you ever, uh, were you ever a fan of, of Strong Bad? Yes, I love that. Strong Bad uh, is still around, just as a note. He, they, they recently dropped a brand new video on, on April Fool's, which was a regular mailbag episode. Homestar Runner, right? It was all exactly, part of that yeah. same Yeah, universe. exactly, yeah. Yeah, so that's just very interesting. But it's that 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 period of time that exists in the internet, right? So coming back to Tisha Slain, so he gave a really good interview um, at the Montreal Comic Con in 2021, all about all of this. And I'm glad that he's ready to talk because he's very eloquent. He's bilingual. His story is really interesting. It's inspiring that like despite every single setback, despite feeling sort of ostracized from society because of this video that he never wanted anyone to see publicly, he decided to make. Um, a life for himself that that works for him. And I, I found it really courageous that he decided to go talk to different people about all of this, including the people who posted the video. Well, I think the relief on Andy Bio's face when he, he realized, okay, this kid's life did not get ruined. He's actually very successful. Uh, I didn't realize how bilingual he was going to be. He's like perfectly bilingual, really. His English is really good. Uh, better than mine, speaking like that. And it was nice. it was nice to see that this didn't hold him back and he's done so well yeah i definitely agree that like i'm really really glad to hear and see that he's doing well um all things considered like i just said right so definitely worth a a watch and it's um, not like he's recognizable and, anymore really no exactly exactly i just it's kind of mind-blowing the way in which we now have uh consent structures in place for a lot of digital video rights and i i do think like different industry but same kind of principle right like um uh look at the Pornhub scrubbing of yesteryear right so anyone who hadn't officially been verified on the platform like their videos were wiped a while back right i was about to say friends of the show Pornhub, but no <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just just geographically speaking yeah that was a, that was actually a great move and i think good pr for them as well to do stuff like that because i mean yes the porn industry doesn't normally have the best pr 
Well, I mean, they still don't, but that's another um, yeah. uh, conversation. I'm but but you got to do something to sort of look good. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was it was a PR move more than than anything else. Thing, and I think we and I have talked about how the advent of MySpace has really created um, um, tying our real names to our digital identities, which I I think about a lot. Weren't there still sort of like aliases? Though, I mean, yes, people were using yeah, people were using usernames, and like uh, you know, in tandem, Facebook uh, was walled out to um, uh, higher ed institutions only for a while before it was open to the public, right? So, but I I do feel like on MySpace, I began to see more of my peers list off their real names. Yeah, I think that's when it started, and I think in online gaming, though, people still have their online oh, gamer tags, yeah, yeah for sure, their gamer tags and. Um, I don't play online games though, so I don't. I haven't. Go, I should actually try one of these days. I mean, I have access to it. I can. I. I literally have. I have Call of Duty uh, that I got for free. I could try that. I don't know anybody's still on those Call of Duty three servers, which I think it's like Modern Warfare three or something. I have or Black Ops three. You're asking I, the wrong person. Yeah, I know. Yeah, where you're too busy uh, saving up money for Kirby. Double Density presents the Three Titans. <laughs> video games though and uh, once again one last call if you want to watch this documentary i highly suggest it you'll find this in the show notes but the eternal battle right angelo the eternal battle between uh two gigantic titans um that has gone on for decades right At pretty much like 30 years at this point of yes. course i'm talking about Not sonic pretty versus much. Super definitely Mario. 30 years like, thank you for interrupting me as i introduce the topic 30 years brian 30 years so yeah are you a sonic man or are you a Mario man right this is very yeah. very interesting oh it's hard but i i love sonic but I yeah. think I'm I'm a Mario guy through and through Italian like me, right. a plumber. <laughs> yeah, of course. How could I remember that this is part of your lineage, right? So um, so I uh, linked you to a Polygon article that is part of something called Who Would Win Week, which is just a week in late March where um, different editors go nuts on different kinds of, of pop culture topics. And I found this article really interesting because it's something that I never really thought about, about how um, Mary exists in kind of like a monoculture, right? He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is the corporate mascot versus Sonic uh, rises, falls, kind of rising, kind of falling, kind of rising, right? So it's very interesting to see Sonic as the more humane character throughout this almost. Yeah, well, Mario's kind of kept what he, he was initially supposed to be. Miyamoto came up with him for Donkey Kong as the protagonist who was going to be basically an actor playing a role in different games. In Donkey Kong, he, wasn't even, he didn't even have a name, right? He was, he was a carpenter who was called Jumpman. And then yeah. slowly but surely, it became Mario. Right? Do you do you remember the first time you played as Mario? Yeah, I was in my neighbor's basement playing the original one. I think I was like four or five. And when you say the original one, you were playing Super Mario Brothers. Yes. Okay. So my first experience with him was with him, like as he's a he's a god. Uh, I, my, your first Mario Vision. My first Mario Vision, yes. It was playing Donkey Kong on the ColecoVision. And I kind of knew he was Mario because of, uh, I think it was called Saturday Starcade or something on CBS. Do you remember that show? 
No. No. Well, I didn't have cable growing up. Okay. Well, it was a it was a, a Saturday morning cartoon with different arcade characters, and Mario was one of them. And I remember there's also there's also like a very interesting divide, right? Because Sonic is like more of an American kind of mascot versus Mario was created in Japan and like ported over and given an identity. I mean, right? Sonic is Japanese from Sega, though it was kind of a. What mix I'm saying of is both. that like the attitude of the time very much. Well, matched. yes, right. That was the thing. So, and this was the kind of the point I was making, where Mario was was created by Miyamoto to be the everyman that Nintendo can use in various games. Sonic was. Like built to order, we need a mascot, and we need one. Yeah, now. we need a mascot. And we need one that appeals to to teens of the nineties, and they like things that go fast. Yeah, with a tood. So, do you remember the first time you played a Sonic? I was probably um, at a department store, like one of those displays. Okay, and I I rented Sonic One. I I got Genesis that summer, and Sonic was was out like a few months later. I I got the Genesis before. Sonic became the pack-in, so just a few months right. before. So mine came with Altered Beast. From your I was going to ask if it was an Altered Beast. Yeah, it was situation. Altered Beast. Yeah, I had uh, my first two games were Altered Beast and Space Harrier Two. Oh, which I, I, yeah, I have complicated feelings about games like that. That weird isometric, yeah, view. Yeah, it was odd. But playing Sonic, the first time I rented it, and I left Sonic alone for a few seconds and saw him tapping his foot. The foot tapping, of yeah, course. blew my mind, and I loved Sonic. And looking back now, the original Sonic game was okay, right? The commercials comparing him to Super Mario World and how much faster he was. But let's face the it, quick cuts, yeah. But but let's face it, right? Like Super Mario World's a better game, <laughs> right? Like it's it's hard yes. to it, yes. It would be hard to argue that Sonic, the the original Sonic game, is better than Super Mario World. Super Mario World is no, such I, a I, deep yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's a bit slower. Doesn't have the uh, the the very fake blast processing. That's just a made up <laughs> thing. <laughs> so I mean, like Sonic One, Sonic Two, Sonic Three, Sonic and Knuckles, kind of the golden age of of Sonic games, and then it falls off um, uh, very very markedly, especially as um, uh, we enter the two thousands with what some may consider to be the worst video game ever up there with Superman sixty four, Sonic oh six. So Sonic during like the. Um, during Saturn was not the best. The Dreamcast game was not terrible. It was kind of cool looking and and okay, but he Sonic never made the transition to three D very gracefully. So yeah, he was on the uh, so Sonic Six was on the Xbox and PlayStation Three, and both are nearly unplayable, right? And then like throughout the years, there's a a bunch of other some good, some bad, right? But once again, like that human quality to Sonic that existed, yeah, the, um, and I. Well, the the the, the Werehog one really stands out because I remember people saying, "Wow, this Angelo's the, rubbing his head as he's yeah, talking like about this in despair." The, the, par- <laughs> the parts where he's not a werewolf are really good. They harken back yeah. to the old, really good Sonic. But the problem was they couldn't make enough of those levels. They just didn't have anywhere to go, so they had to sort of pad it with these terrible Werehog fighting scenes, basically like Sonic's in a brawler. It was odd didn't make any sense so let's let's talk about the twin pillars of rehabbing sonic right so a couple of years ago sonic mania came out right and the interesting thing about that is that sonic hired fan game creators to work on this game 
that's a really good game. And you and you can tell that the people that made it knew what they wanted and knew what they And were they really doing. care. Yeah, exactly. Which is something that like uh, I think that Nintendo would never, ever do. Like, no. There's a ton of Mario Maker levels out there that are really, really good. Would they ever hire someone to create a 2D Mario game? Probably no, not. No, because Nintendo's be not desperate for that, right? They have no. the one of the best game creators of all, like, ever working for them. Yeah. And they have an amazing team. They have a vision, right? They just announced that the next Breath of the Wild is going to be delayed. And it's like, they don't even care. They don't apologize. They're like, yeah, sorry, it's going to take us a year. That's like the, the extent of their apology. We're gonna, You're yeah. going to get it when it's ready, and you're going to like it. And Did we don't care the, if you have to wait another year. Have you heard year. the conspiracy theory about this? I have not heard the conspiracy theory, no. This is a really funny one. So uh, a lot of like a bunch of people online are saying that like they want to release in 2023 because they are convinced, Nintendo's convinced that Elden Ring will sweep the Game of the Year awards. Nintendo does not care of that about that. They stuff, don't care right? really, but it just it made me laugh that people were trying to come up with that reasoning. And then like um it's like like 10% plausible. Maybe at that. But Miyazaki loves Nintendo, right? Yeah. Like, uh, Miyamoto is his inspiration for the games he creates. And I don't think there's that there's that kind of thought there. But maybe, yeah, you know, like ten percent. I can I can believe ten percent that, yeah. So the first pillar, of course, is Sonic Mania, which returns to like um, Mario's like uh, Mario Sonic's like two D platforming. You can't even um, get it right, Brian. I know. I was because I'm staring at the word Mario right now as I've got this the end of the article open. And then the second pillar, I think, and the more important one is the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. So. It's very interesting the way that Sega does fan service, right? So firstly, with Sonic Mania, they bring in uh, fan game level creators. And then for uh, for Sonic the Hedgehog, after the trailer gets released, everyone uh, craps on how bad Sonic looks. They listen. They fix it. redo the movie. And the movie's pretty good. It's pretty good. I was not expecting to like it as much as I did. And I'm very interested in seeing Sonic 2. I never thought we'd be saying that. Remember... When the movie was coming out, we had Daryl Baxter on the show. And we were talking about yes. it. We were hoping yeah. this movie was going to be good. And we were really holding back and had no actual inclination that'd be good. But it was. It was enjoyable. It was. It was. And the the, ca- the casting of Idris Elba is, as Knuckles, right? Also, speaking of Daryl, he put out a book last fall called The Making of Tomb Raider. Go ahead and go pick that up internationally if you want. That's a good idea. We'll put a link in the show notes. We sure will. Uh, so yeah, so um, uh, listening to fans uh, ended up working out doubly, I guess, for Sega. Whereas like Mario the Monolith, Nintendo the Monolith would never do that, right? So the forthcoming Mario movie with Chris Pratt as as Mario uh, scares me. Yeah, I don't know what the... It, okay, so... But it, Chris Pratt is just a voice, right? He's not literally... It's not a, a live action No, there's movie. no mocap. He's not doing mocap. Okay. It's not a live action movie or anything like that. No, no. Okay. Where they just... They, they dimly just put a hat on his head and yeah. call it a day now. Mustache. I'm picturing uh, Star-Lord with a mustache. <laughs> I listened to a podcast called The Best Movies Never Made, and they did a whole lead-up um, of unused uh, Mario scripts leading up to the 90s movie, which is super fascinating. If everyone hears some like deep lore about the movies that could have been, um, some more faithful than others, of course. That is a terrible movie. Which is, it is it, not a good movie, And Angela. it's nonsensical. And I've tried watching it multiple times. Dennis Hopper the, as... The Nintendo advertisement, The Wizard, is a better movie. My kids love that movie. It's a great I movie. forced them to watch ways. it. But they liked it. I every once in a while I'll tell my kids to watch something and they poo-poo it and they don't want to watch it. And then I just put it on. And then they sit down and they love it. This happened with the never ending story a few weeks ago. And now you're just slowly brainwashing them into more Mario products. For sure. It's Mario so, all the way. Uh, 
How many, how many, uh, like Firefly was on five. Are you, uh, excited for the Mary movie? I'm, I'm, I'm holding back judgment until it, I, at least I want to see a trailer at least before I, before I get any hopes up. I don't mind Chris Pratt. I don't know why people really hate him apart. Like in the, in the roles he does, I'm not thinking about his personal life, but he is, he's fine in movies. I, I loved him in, um, what, what's uh, in Parks and Rec. So here's my thing about him though. Like he already did the Lego movie. He already did an animated character that um, could fall under the kind of same domain. So I don't know what kind of like misbegotten accent, misguided accent he could throw on to make me want to believe that it's going to be um, a good Oh, one. it's going to sound racist for sure. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying if he decides to do that, right? So, okay. So you're not, you're willing to, to not rate this at all in terms of excitement yet? Not yet. No, I, I need to okay. see a trailer first. All right, so in that case, like, how many Chaos Emeralds on five are you excited for Sonic 2? Oh, I'm like, going to go, go four. four. Yeah, at least four, four, four and a half. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm hoping I don't have to go to the theater to watch it with the kids, but I it will be something I want to watch with the kids because they like the first Lock one. in, lock in, Angela. The theater is safe. COVID is over, don't you know? Oh, it's true. So yeah, if you want to let us know what you're thinking about in terms of the Sonic movie and the Mario movie, the rivalry between Sonic and Mario, There's the, the decades rivalry. long. They're friends. They yes, were in... but in the minds and hearts of the world. Sonic's in his uh, fighting game. Right, right, of course. Anyways, uh, thank you for interrupting this, Angelo. So go ahead and list off our, our Twitter handle if you can do this, and then we'll head into the paranormal section. That's uh, double underscore density at uh, twitter.ca. <laughs> and boom, goes the dynamite. Angelo, I'll see you on the paranormal side. See you there. When I befriended a group of aliens just three years ago, I was lost. Do you believe in a cool group of down-to-earth aliens who love to hang out, have fun, and have great ideas about what kind of food you can eat? No, that's crazy. Double density. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we're switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So one item on the uh, paranormal docket this week, and that is the unfortunate passing of John Lear. Uh... John Lear is a very interesting man when it comes to modern ufology, right? So John Lear, born in 42, passed March 29th, 2022. And so he is or was a land speed record holder because he is, of course, um, part of the Learjet family, right? The Lear family of Learjet fame. Yeah, I knew that. And I didn't realize he had all these accomplishments. Yeah, he a, has a, a, like a, a, a dare, ton of yeah, land speed records. A daredevil pilot, too. Um, injured many times, which I didn't realize. Um but a skewed view of how things worked with science and the paranormal <laughs> and things like that. So he's, he uh, came to prominence in the late 80s with, uh, with interviews with like um, George Knapp and things like that. And it's very interesting because like, you know, in the 80s, you had Linda Moulton Howe's Strange Harvest come out. And then some years later, as things progressed, George Knapp interviewing John Lear, George Knapp interviewing Bob Lazar. And then uh, Bob Lazar... And John Lear hung out a bunch. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, they were buddies. I I read the article about his passing uh, that you sent me, and there's a quote from Bob Lazar talking about how they were buddies for over 30 years. Yeah, so if you head to the show notes, there is a podcast episode from 2019 um, done with John Lear. It's an interview, and he talks about his his friendship with with Bob, and, and he backs all his credentials and things like that. And he is fully in the camp that believes that the government erased all of his MIT records uh, in order to invalidate his claims. So, yeah, I mean, so John Lear had a very weird and interesting kind of way of thinking about aliens because he believed that they were working in consort with the government, including Majestic 12. Yeah, he was a firm believer in Majestic 12, uh, even though 
and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I Stanton Friedman believed in MJ12, and I still think he was one of the the better ufologists out there. It does, you know, just believing in it doesn't mean you're wrong about anything or everything. But uh, in terms of ufologists, I think John Lear's views diverged with mine significantly. Significantly would be the word. Yes, exactly. And, Um, you know, and he went on with wild conspiracy theories. And I get him confused with uh, Richard Hoagland all the time. No, yeah, Richard C. Hoagland is the the face on Mars guy, yeah, nineteen point five degrees, the the Egyptian pyramid guy. Yeah, I get them confused all the time. I'm sure John Lear was totally into the face on Mars, right? What I'm surprised about is that you didn't actually get him confused with another Lear spelled differently. Roger Lear, the implant guy, we covered him actually like roughly like two years ago, um, right now actually. Yeah, I, I he's L E E R, right? L E I R, L E I R. Okay, and, and John yeah. Lear's je- is like the jet. L E R. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, and he's not Richard C. Hoagland, but he also was a pretty regular guest on Coast to Coast AM um, for a number of years, and I've listened to him a bunch. Yeah, so he believes, and he he draws a through line between all of these major UFO events, including um, uh, the Roswell incidents, the uh, the UFOs over Washington in the 50s. He believes that the calculations that Linda Moulton Howe brought up in the early 80s um, are tied into this, and also he thinks... That this all started with, or, or he believes that this all started with the German recovery of flying saucers in the late 30s um, during World War II. Something very interesting to note also is uh, he has this like manifesto from the late 80s that he kind of like made his bones on, where he explains that the church hid the fact that the earth revolves around the sun and not the inverse for years, and the government has been lying to us much in the same way the church used to. Wait, so, okay, wait. So he thinks the sun revolves around the earth? What? What? No, so at the beginning of the manifesto, he goes on to explain that people believe that the sun revolved around the earth for uh, like hundreds of years more um, because the the church knew the truth behind... How did they know the truth, though? (laughs) Ah, Who knows? Anyways, so he goes on and on about that, and yeah, he believes this like whole through line. He's, uh, he... Was in MUFON for a while, just uh, all of all of. I mean, he's stuff, one man. of the classic ufologists, and the the you know one of the ones that we grew up with, always hearing about. So it, it, I guess he sort of holds like a special place in the the our heart of ufology. For even though he's he's so wrong on so many things, or we feel he was wrong on so many things, he did get some stuff that- right. Right, like he thought. Uh, he had an idea about a a stealth jet that was being tested, and he was yes. convinced yeah. about that, and he was right. Yeah, out of out of out of uh, uh, Nevada. Yeah, I mean, a stopped clock is right twice a day. They say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he definitely did. Um, uh, he did a good job of of being right, yeah, at least once. But it's <laughs> it's just fascinating, right? He's he had claimed to have like flown. Um, hundreds of types of planes, but he he comes with this like interesting crop, right? And this gentleman says, for like, I don't want to say like like populist American uh, ufology, right? Because you got your patients there, which is George Knapp, where he had in Nevada, like meeting these different people, propagating their stories. He hooks up with them. He, um, you know, like look at Jeremy Corbell's uh, documentary at Lazar too, right? Like all of these kinds of instances of like intermingling decades long. I mean, sure, um, Bigelow's and, thrown in there too somewhere because he works out of Nevada. Yeah, but I mean, like. F- further out right yeah. like they, they don't there's no lo- lost love between these 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 two um camps. something to note too is that uh lear explained that he worked for the cia for a while so if he jets going them. yeah in vietnam and in other places like and, and so i'm just wondering like maybe he's a plant right 
You like, think? let's like, I don't want to talk ill of a deceased person, but like, if we're going full tinfoil hat, why not suggest that maybe that he is a psyop uh, meant to spread misinformation? Like the other guy. It. What's what's the guy I'm thinking about? Benowitz? Is it Richard something? No. Yes. Well, Richard Doty and Richard Paul Doty. Benowitz, yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm thinking Richard Doty. Yes. So Paul Benowitz was the one who reported all these things, right? Yeah. So he's it's possible he's part of that group. I'm just saying, like, there's all these this intermingling, right? There was like a supposed like there's all these like Buffon symposiums that they went to in the late '80s, early '90s, um, as well as something really interesting. Um, uh, uh, I also say he's a CIA agent because your friend, not my friend, uh, Bill Cooper, hmm. um, uh, the what what is the right word to use for him? The provocateur, I guess. Yeah, right? that's a that is a really good word. I mean, yeah. So he, the author of the infamous "Behold a Pale Horse" um, also accused John Lear of of being uh, a government. Also client. known so for I'm shootouts. Not, yes, yeah, over taxes, but also maybe um, um, Clinton wanted him out. Look, this is all possible. That John Lear, his job in the CIA was to make UFOs seem as cuckoo as possible. To throw us off the actual scent. Right. Which goes against the Brookings report, right? Of like slow conditioning, but maybe it goes with the Brookings report of slow conditioning, right? It's because, reverse psychology, um, Brian. Exactly. Exactly, Angelo. And also, you have to remember that a lot of this is um, uh, conditioning of different sorts, right? Because, like, I feel like talking about extraterrestrial lives um, has been normalized over the last couple of decades with things like the X Files and things with, you know, not necessarily John Lear, but that whole cadre of people coming out and, and talking about these things, right? The the late eight of seventies explosion of the Roswell story, um, um, you know, UFOs had been big in the fifties and sixties, then lost some steam in the mainstream media in the early seventies, and then they made a comeback in the eighties with people like George Knapp bringing up stuff. Um, exactly like area 51 like area 51 nobody really cared about it until then no yeah exactly exactly no one cared about it till the ladies till bob lazar was saying all these things like something interesting too is that like beyond that like um uh i don't want to talk about this right now but let's talk about this anyways (laughs) the dulce the dulce base right the dulce base yeah it's pronounced multiple ways dulce de leche yeah, <laughs> thank you, my Italian friend. But yeah, that's uh, Spanish, Lear anyway. claims that he had independent verification that it existed, that it was a thing, and that he believed that the aliens, the Greys, and the 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 humans. What right? about I the Nordics? Like that Simpsons quote. I always feel like it's a Simpsons that Simpsons quote right? of like uh, the the reverse vampires are yeah. working together with the saucer people. Oh, yeah, um, that is an old so episode if you think about it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also you got to remember the world weekly news or weekly world news was also like uh, posting about Dulce, 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 along with uh, bat boy and stuff like that. <laughs> I actually have one of their compendiums here that I bought at a thrift store. You, a while you back. get the most interesting things at thrift store, especially in so terms of paranormal. Oh, speaking of that, Angelo, if you want to hold on a second. Um, to me, it looks like you're in a weird smeared void because your background's blurred. It is blurred for business purposes. You know, as you move around, you look like you're in a, a in the Take On Me video. <laughs> I, I slowly come to life. So, Angela, I'm going to hold up a buck, okay? Okay. Uh, I can't see it because it's blurred. No, I know, I know. No, I, I can't, no, I can't see it. It's blurred. Okay. It's like it's, oh, like it's, it's so censored. Weird. It's come censored. On, come on. Let me put it next to my face. Yeah, yeah, it's censored. I okay, just see so it's aliens. A copy, it's a copy of, yeah, it's a copy of Aliens Adored by uh, Susan Palmer. And this is, of course. Brian, they don't want us to know about it. It's censored <laughs> over it's the internet. It's, of course, um, all about aliens. And I picked this up used uh, on the weekend uh, because I've had the PDF forever. Was it signed by Real himself? 
No, but it's signed by Susan Palmer. Why do I know the name? Because she uh, teaches, taught at Dawson College as well as Concordia University. Oh. And she wrote the so, book? Yeah. She wrote a book, yeah. She was very close to the Reelians for a while, and I've had the PDF forever, and I used it as part of our research um, when we talked about the Reelians years huh. and years ago, Angela. Do you realize we've been doing this podcast for now for, for five, five years, years my friend? It's crazy. Uh, April 2017 is when we started, and I still feel that you were just as insufferable today as you were back then. But you love working with me. I mean, uh, parts of our uh, professional relationship are fine. Other parts where I have to drag you to do the most basic things on earth. Like, for example, if I told you, Angelo, I'm going hands off. Next episode, you're the only person taking care Perfect. of both sides. Elden Ring. That's all we're talking about. <laughs> for both? For both, yeah. There's scary stuff in really? Elden Ring. For... Also, like, we're 40 minutes in, Angelo, and I want to congratulate you. This is the first mention of the ring. No, we kind of mentioned it before because of the game of the year, but you brought it up. No, I did bring it up, but I'm just saying, like, you of your own volition wanted very eagerly, and you even texted me, how much Elden Ring talk do I get this week? And I said, none. I said, no comment. Yeah. Um, well, I haven't been playing it. All, so. If you want to do an all Elden Ring episode, Angela, by all means, the, the gate is open. You do all your research on the lore and how it ties into oh the Oh, my period. God. The lore. So anyway, yeah, we won't talk about it on the show, but the... the the deep lore his, of that the game. The smile on his crazy. face is incredible. I've yeah. rarely seen him smiling. Well, right now I'm playing actually something that does work with the paranormal. I'm playing Bloodborne. So, okay, yeah, okay, that is very gothic, very creepy, perfect for the children. I am ready to hang up on you, but yeah, happy five year anniversary, Angela. How does it feel to have done this podcast for five years? I think it's been the most consistent thing I've done in the last, apart from being like a dad and taking. I was going to say, apart from being a dad and, and a husband, yeah, but yeah, it's been great. I, I love it. It's you know I always joke about it that it's like our own bowling night, but we don't bowl. Like we do this every couple of when weeks. When was the last time you went bowling? Pre-COVID, probably like for my fortieth birthday. I think we went bowling. Okay. So do you lick the balls? Uh, it's a, what yeah, exactly? Uh, I'm gonna cut that. Angela, it's funny that we <laughs> talk about bowling because you you when we when we had known each other, um, uh, IRL, and when we worked together, you were a noted germaphobe. How did you survive? I a think life? I played it up more than it was actually true. Fair enough, right? Fair I played enough. it up more as a joke because, as somebody that has small children pooping all over you, it's hard to be a germaphobe. And if I was a true germaphobe, you think I'd clean my cat litter, right? <laughs> like I, no, that's so. That's I, a good point. I I kind of played up for more than it really is, and it's fun to play that up. But really, I'm not a germaphobe. Not that. Much. I like how you're revealing that you were you trolled me. You actually trolled me for ten years. <laughs> well, no, I'd say more like like I recognize that you were probably playing it up like three years in. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. yeah. Do you feel like I listened? So I listened to her first episode uh, a week or two ago. Really? Preparation for this. I'm springing this on you. I yeah. Was whispering. You were whispering. We were very halting. We hadn't found a rhythm. We weren't as lively. Um, I definitely felt uh, more. Uh, tense than I, I do these days. Yeah, and I, I feel like we make better podcasts now. And I feel, yeah, podcasts. and I feel like we were more worried about, oh, what are people going to listen and stuff? And now that we know that people listen and enjoy it and have fun, and I mean, we're not a, a, g a giant podcast where uh, we have uh, sponsors breaking down our doors, but we still have fun. We have engaging listeners. It's great. And I do feel like this uh, celebration is a good place to end episode 187 of the uh, Murder Guys podcast. Yeah, we, we're, we're flipping the script and going to yeah, uh, exactly. true the, crime. The five-year anniversary years, yeah. is now, yeah. Uh, we haven't done an April Fool's thing in a while, and we, we missed the boating on this year, and I'm really sad. So maybe next year we'll do something. Uh, maybe April Fool's um, is, is fine. I, you know what? I, I, like I've, we had a great April Fool's joke where 
we wouldn't. We pretended to be friends. Yeah, no. My 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 daughter was born in April Fools, and when we told people that we had a baby, like they were thinking we were joking. And yes, we got the most elaborate April Fools joke. My wife was carrying a pretend child for nine months. (laughs) We rented a hospital room. We took up time. So what you're saying is this is a CIA psyop. Yeah. It was funny, yeah. though. Like, April uh, Fool's, the hospital that night was empty. There was, like, nobody. Really? Yeah, it was great. We had we had six people in the delivery room with us. So it was great. Oh, I thought you meant, like, crowding around your wife. No, we had, we had four or five nurses, a couple of doctors coming in and out. It was great. I don't... We don't really talk professional stuff, but I recently... Um, I gave my two weeks at my current job on April 1st, which was a very awkward thing to do because <laughs> I had to call my, my boss and explain to her this, this wasn't a joke. Yeah, this I feel like I'm really like uh, an opportunity came up. I'm taking a month off, um, which I've never done before. And uh, I'm coming back and I'm super excited. I'm doing a career pivot. And are you going to mention it on the show eventually when, once you're settled in? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I So I'm currently a copywriter. I'm becoming a content producer, which is a little more hands-on, a little more exciting, a little more like what I like to do on the podcast, which is talk to people, find out what inspires them, and uh, see it through and, and celebrate them. Okay. And that's code for disinformation agent. Yeah, I'm going to be lying every single day of my life as much as I can. Great. And I hope someone clips this and plays this for me, new boss. Perfect. <laughs> Angelo, this has been it for episode 187 of the Double Density Podcast. Can you tell people where they can find us? Well, I mentioned it before, double underscore density at uh, Twitter. That's our Twitter That's handle. CA. Right? That's CA, yeah. That was a joke, yep. though. April Fool's. Yay. Yes. Um, the uh, Double Density Podcast Instagram account. Is that what it's called? Correct. Oh, wow. I'm really uh, getting good at this. Double Density Podcast at gmail.com. And as always, double density.net, where you can find our bios, all of the ways in which you can subscribe to our show on different platforms. And we're pretty much on all the platforms these days. Yeah, even Spotify, even though we don't like them. Yeah, which is, it's, it's a pretty big cluster of our listeners, actually, surprisingly. We're not on YouTube, although YouTube's planning to go big into podcasts. Yeah, that was one of the things we almost covered is that they are planning on having an RSS feed. And I've been, I've been sort of like going back and forth and thinking about should we put our show, our episodes up with our, our guests on there? Just just to have it there. I mean, look, if we're doing, if they're they're gonna just be sucking in RSS feeds, I'm fine with giving it ours. Like, there's no reason not to. If because before to upload to YouTube sucks, right? YouTube is the most popular podcasting platform in the world. Did you know that? Of course, you did. yeah, you yeah. No, we had talked about that, but it's just uploading to YouTube is is a hassle. We well, have to create the MP4. You have to do all these the extra steps, right? Yeah, it's like this. We just we edit, we QA together, we listen, we agree. We post, we put together the show, and that—that that is it. It all comes from the same place. And I'm infinitely thankful that Apple's RSS feed is uh, in existence and not gated. And let's not forget, Fireside makes everything really easy. Oh yeah, totally, totally. Fireside. Uh, I wish we got a coupon code from them, but we don't, right? So we got well, we got them true. initially. Like they, when I had mentioned this on the show, or I tweeted about us, and uh, they gave us an extra month or two, uh, like fifteen percent off or something. So that's good. true. That's true. That's a really good point. Um, uh, finally, if you want to leave us a review on any of these platforms, by all means, we encourage it. Uh, let us know, Mary Rosonic. Mention that in your review if you want. Yeah, I don't care. Give us a star on Overcast. This has been it for episode 187 of the Dolt Density Podcast, as I mentioned that for a third time. Angela, I will see you next week where you and I... Next week? We're doing it weekly now? We are doing a weekly surprise, Angela. Yay! Uh, The fifth anniversary extravaganza. I'm going to... Yeah, because it's your week. It's your turn, my turn. Oh, okay. Let's do it weekly. Whatever. We'll figure it out. Okay. (laughs) Do it live. Angela. Do it live. Five years of frustration. Goodbye, Angela. Bye.
was about to end the meeting, not the, I almost do that. 